You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're back for another episode of the podcast, and I am joined by the very lovely Z or Zanaya. Um, and your surname, you're going to have to say it again. I really don't want to mess up. It's Karajet. 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 Yeah, my mum to thank for that. <laughs> I, I love it. We, um, we only met a few weeks ago um, and I was like, you have to come on this podcast. Um, I absolutely uh, love your energy and I, I really can't wait to get stuck into it. Um, but I, I did, I did want to ask, my first question might be a little bit of an odd one. Um, I want to know about you getting your first tour managing experience at the age of six with a 16-piece band across Europe. <laughs> That's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming this is how you got your start in the music industry. Yeah, it's in the blood. It's in the blood. Um, my dad is a musician and uh, he was part of a 16-piece South African band um, in the 80s. And uh, I wanted to go along with them. Um, I was six years old. The big tour bus showed up at the house that all the band were getting on. And I was like, Dad, I want to come. It's like, we're not stopping at the swings. And I was like, no, I don't care. I want to come anyway. And it's like, you eat when you can eat and you sleep when you can sleep. And I was like, okay. So yeah, I went on the road of the band and um, my first job was they gave me everyone's hotel room numbers. So in the morning I was giving everyone their morning call and that was the first tour. All the musicians were on time for the bus. <laughs> nice. And did you go on then to, to do more stuff or was it just, just the one tour? Well, I was six years old, so it was um, it was part of my my growing up. Um, yeah, Festival Field is my second home. Um, being on the road, and uh, and yeah, that was that was my life. I, I grew up in Royal Scots, so thanks to my dad. <laughs> yeah, very much, yeah. very much so. Shout out, shout out to dad. Shout out to dad. Shout out to dad. Um, can you explain uh, for, for everyone who's listening then, uh, of course, like I said, me and you met a few weeks ago, we actually met at a UK festival. It was amazing. We were finally able, uh, after all these COVID restrictions were lifted, finally able to kind of get out there uh, and do what we do. And um, you were in charge, you were artist liaison. Um, are you able to explain what that, that role is uh, and also explain, because I understand that that's not a usual role that you take at festivals. So, so what do you actually do for the UK events industry? So I have been working um, on an artist, well, within the artist logistics realm for a couple of Bristol based festivals for the last six years now. And I've been working alongside Katie Marshall, who uh, went ahead and did her own uh, festival this year, Summer of Love, where we met um, with with another team, and uh, that was absolutely fantastic to to see her get that off the ground. Um, and as we've worked together so closely in the artist realm within these festivals over six years now, um, it only felt natural to be on board with her, alongside her, and supporting her team. 
because of the situation we're in and everything being so last minute with uh, events going ahead one minute and then cancelled and postponed, um, teams changing constantly, um, crew being difficult to find, it was a very last minute jump on um, and get and get the job done. So with Artist Liaison, there's a very strong crossover with Artist Logistics. Um, liaison is obviously making sure that everyone has what they need to make the show happen on the day and to ensure that everything is ready and prepared for their arrival and the logistics takes care of all their travel and their contracts and their invoicing um, and getting them to and from site and dealing with delayed trains or flights and, and still making it happen despite whatever the day throws at you. So I would say I'm more in the logistics realm of things. Um, I'd like to be part of that um, process from the beginning of the project until the end and really see a project through from start to finish. Um, but obviously with hospitality and events experience, those skills get applied to the liaison side. And, um, and that's always the fun part where, you know, you make sure everyone's having a good time and maybe calm their nerves and get them some food and get them hyped up for their show and, you know, make sure that they're looked after. Um, and this year, with everything and the situation we're in, I definitely feel that that element of the role is so important because everyone has had their own crazy experiences in this last couple of years. And for some artists, it's their first gig in a long time. So, you know, it's really supporting emotionally, um, them through that process to ensure that you know they're ready for their for their show again and that's, yeah. that's the exciting part to see how how would someone work at a festival then in in your experience how would um someone who's really interested in in uh, events this can be uh, a question for maybe UK events but I, I imagine it would be international as well um how would you recommend someone kind of get stuck in they, they start at the bottom it's really, I always feel it, it is a case of starting at the bottom if, in these things if you have no experience and a lot of opportunities are given for internships, for example, where you can start off um, within a production team and starting to get to know a little bit of everything across each area until you know which area is the one for you and where you want to start pursuing your goals and your skills in in those areas because with the festival comes a huge family and there are so many different skills that are required to bring it off the ground um, from you know health and safety and welfare to the crews that build the site to security uh, production teams uh, volunteers uh, rubbish collection like it's huge and that's starting it's from huge. the bottom of course we talk about like the volunteering yeah. and yeah a lot of people that I've I've come across who work in the, the, the same spaces you say that oh yeah I, uh, I I just volunteered uh to be bar staff I volunteered to be a little picker exactly and sometimes it just takes one event um I was out of the UK for a long time and came back eight years ago and um, I, I felt I was starting again, in a sense, getting to know who's doing what and how to get back into the scene. And I volunteered at a festival in London and the production team. And I did it for fun. I did it because I love it. It wasn't because I didn't have experience. At that stage, I had tons of it. But it was getting back in 
to to that world and getting to know people again and connecting with people and sure enough they were running Arcadia at Glastonbury Festival and that summer I was with them in the field at Glastonbury and then from there something else happens and you meet somebody else um so yeah it's definitely a case of you know getting yourself out there and connecting with people because ultimately if you connect with your team there will be work um you know Mm, definitely let's talk about networking then because it's something that a lot of people struggle with um you are definitely great at it uh I got to see it firsthand um how do you how do you feel about networking at a festival do you find it do you find it quite hard when people are kind of asking questions trying to get in then or do you have any tips for people who might be a little bit nervous to approach someone like you it's funny because I think when you label it as networking, it becomes something that's quite daunting because there's a conversation that comes with that. There's an introduction and you build yourself up to, hi, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And how do I tell you how I love you and not and play it cool at the same time? <laughs> um, but, you know, it, ultimately it's about being yourself and not everyone has confidence straight away and a lot of people deal with levels of insecurity in you know jumping into a world that is daunting and scary but like I said if you remain authentic and reliable and you can express your skills um, and show your value those things will be recognized um, and it can be as simple as you know showing up on time and being the one that mans the dressing room whilst the whilst the band are on site sound checking and the tour manager's like thank you so much you've been incredible it can be something as small as that um or it can be something a bit bigger but ultimately don't label it as networking label it as meeting people and getting yourself out there and having good quality conversations with people um and and representing yourself you know like I said with authenticity and and showing up when when you're asked to is a big thing Mm. they're the do's then what are the don'ts what is something that is a complete turn off and you're just like I'm assuming turning up late would be one of them well everyone has you know everyone's had a moment um things like that happen Again, it's how you represent yourself and communicate those things. Um, I think when you say you're going to be somewhere, you show up and you do it and you be proactive. Um, If you see something that needs to be done and you know you can action it, action it. And always asking and offering support to your line managers, you know. I guess the worst things that have ever happened is some people, you know, just disappearing off comms all day. And then coming back at the end of the shift, you're like, oh, where have you been? <laughs> yeah. Have you been anywhere? What have you been doing? You look like you've had a lot of fun. But, um, but you know, it's the element of the game. Um, it's a festival environment. It's not a corporate environment. You deal with all kinds of characters and different backgrounds and different levels of experience. Um, but at the end of the day, the magic is created in everyone making it happen, despite everything that can go against us from weather to pandemics um so yeah it's it's a mad world and I always joke about it we're a rare breed of humans that can pull this off the ground because most of the time we're not doing it for the money these jobs we're doing it for the love and the fact that it brings so many people together 
um, for for mutual love of coming together and the love of music. Yeah, definitely. You've you've dealt with a lot of artists then at these at these uh, shows, but you've also, like you said from the beginning, you really like working festivals from from the start, from the kind of the ground up. Um, something that a, a lot of people are always wondering is, is how do I get onto a festival lineup? So, what's your top three tips for an artist on how to actually be seen or considered for a festival lineup? I think now these days, obviously having your social media profiles up to date, um, sh- showcasing your music and your mixes or your releases is very important. Um, a lot of, you know, young up and coming or up and coming DJs and musicians are still having to represent themselves and aren't wanting to pay for those agents or management costs. So um, I can only use Love Saves Day as an example this year we have a plug stage for up and coming artists um, and we have had and introduced young promoters and bookers who are within their own scene then reaching out to their artists and getting them on the lineup Um, as an artist reaching out again it's you know getting in touch with festivals in your local area festivals that align with your audience and the style of music that you do and reaching out to those people and sending links and information and biogs to your work as a start. Um, the other thing I would recommend is, you know, getting onto some club nights as well, because again, getting your audience, target audience within your local area and starting off with your local festivals. Um, but even so, you might be in another genre like jazz, for example, and you might want to reach out to other festivals like WOMAD or Glastonbury I mean that's a very high up one obviously but again it's again it's all about definitely having those opportunities to reach people who make those decisions maybe you might look at your local radio stations and getting on air um, showcasing other um, club nights that you do or venue venue work that you do um, so yeah, promoters, bookers, socials. Um, and if you do have an agent or management, going through those festivals together as a team and approaching them with, with what you want to put out there. Um, we have so many festivals in the UK and it's, you know, we're looked at internationally for the parties that we put on. Um, but don't be put off by these big festivals and names. A lot of promoters these days, especially on um, big festivals and big lineups um then maybe not as on the ground as they used to be for you know smaller local artists or up-and-coming artists um and so it's just you know contacting them and sending them your info mm. so you really got to kind of catch their eye don't you like and, and you're right I don't imagine people who are booking um I, I don't know if we can call them I, I want to say major festivals but when I use the word major festivals uh people instantly think of the glastonbury's the the, the red and the festivals but even so like the the ones that are going to bring a, a really good headliner the, especially one like he's got a budget to have a really good headliner they may not then have a budget to get even bigger stars on or artists or bands and stuff like that and at the end of the day like it might really work out they've got an introducing stage they, they're willing to, I don't know, pay for your travel costs or something like that. Um, but they just need to know that you're there and you may not get a reply back, but you'll always be hopefully in the back of their minds. 
definitely it's it's like it's such a hard that I think the first hurdle is is sending that email mm. and, and putting that email that represents you with all your links to your socials you know to to really promote yourself um and there are all these online platforms that are used successfully to to help artists get out there um because that instantly shows how many followers you've had how many likes how many listeners um and that is is extremely valuable as we all know um but it's making that call it's putting yourself out there because so many times as we all know emails go to junk folders um and we all know yeah it's like it's like getting that job getting that foot in the door how how do we do it um through my own experience it's always been just being in the right place at the right time and being open to opportunities you know yeah and I said starting working in a festival I know lots of DJs who are also working on the bar and jumping on on the crew and you know then they'll jump on and do a set but they're also doing marketing like <laughs> yeah we saw it firsthand yeah exactly. yeah 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 definitely and I think I think that is that is the case you need to be a part of it uh, and if that's your way in the door, um, and, and that's your way in, um, do you think it's sometimes, and this is actually, this is a question that I got put to me the other day, so I thought you'd be the best person to answer this. Um, how can you enjoy a festival whilst you're also performing? Like, is there is there a kind of a 50-50 split there? I know, I love the fact that you're laughing as well, because yeah, you want to be able to, you're performing it, you're really excited, you want you want to network I know we're using the word network but quite yeah. loosely or you are actually um I don't know like you said working in the marketing or the bar and then you're going to go jump on and do your set but um you ultimately want to enjoy it as well so what's your kind of like tips for being able to enjoy a festival whilst actually working at it slash performing it's like everything balance yeah I think if you're an artist you have your own routine of pre-getting on stage, whether that's a bottle of water or a shot of tequila. Um, I think it depends on the festival too. A lot of the time as an artist and you're on the road, you're in and out very quickly with shows either side. Um, but yeah, you it's hard not to have fun when you're at a festival because that's what you're meant to do you're meant to go in and forget about the outside world and the problems of tomorrow or yesterday. Um, and we saw that and, and that's part of the magic of it. You know, you, you leave the outside world behind you and you go in to let go. Um, if you're, like I said, an artist with multiple shows, you want to look after yourself and, and maybe not go too crazy because you've got to maintain that strength and energy for future shows. But if you're there, let go, have a good time do your show and and enjoy it and take in the moment of having all those people around you dancing in front of you and having a good time yeah i uh i honestly think that as long as you're uh you're putting in the the work that you need to of course don't go out there and have fun and miss opportunities but as long as you're doing exactly what you need to do uh and having the occasional five ten minutes here and enjoying someone's set or something like that i think it's easily balanced it's so hard not to be like, for example, you know, Summer of Love, we're non-stop working 15-hour days. I think I did 30,000 steps in a day. You know, it's insane. You don't stop. But then you have a moment where you look around you and you've got this incredible stage with these incredible fireworks going off and you're there with your team and you're thinking, 
oh my god this just happened this is what's happening now and we've made this happen by the skin of our teeth like it's emotional it's really emotional so mm. you know it's hard not to feel those moments and and I think it's so much work that in order to do it and we love it is because of those moments where you're like wow this is this is incredible with mm. all these happy faces and um coming together yeah great thing yeah we came together after uh 18 plus months of being, um, I don't know if the word is lockdown. I don't know, restricted. I don't even know what it was, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I'd be I'd be interested to see, what's that? The blip in the matrix. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the history books call it in 20 years time. But um, you, me and you had a discussion um, about about COVID, about the government. Now on the 19th uh, of this month, um, sorry, 19th of last month, uh, we're in August now, so it'd be the 19th of July um, was Freedom Day. Um, and shortly after midnight, when all the clubs opened, there was a lot of people either cheering for freedom or complaining about freedom. And the government that day, the UK government that day, they decided to announce COVID passports. Now, um, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because you, a very law-abiding citizen, uh, decided to write a letter to your your local MP or for for people who are listening in the US, that's uh, basically like a congressman or congresswoman or, or councilman or councilwoman, uh, whatever you've kind of got. Um, and let's talk a little bit more about that. So, so who did you contact and what what did you say? Well. I wanted to raise the discussion first, firstly, because I think it's something that is very important. I feel that, firstly, I wrote to Tang Debner, who's the Labour MP um, that looks after Brit- Bristol City Council. Um, I've written to her in the past on other things too. Um, with regards to the hospitality industry, um, initially with no support or guidance with regards to opening up um, or funding. Um, Our city's been incredible at responding and creating a community of people who supported each other and local businesses within the area. That's another story. Um, Yeah, I wrote to her because I wanted to know what her stand was with regards to these vaccine passports for clubs specifically. Um, I realised that the media and the narrative of the government was very much focusing on nightclubs reopening and they have still been very unclear and, and not forthcoming with information or guidance until recently. Even so, that guidance isn't um, to, isn't really enforced in the same way across all events or venues and they're now talking about implementing this type of passport um, towards the end of September. So my main concern was that this would put us really on the front line um, of implementing these things within society, which I don't feel is fair. Um, 
and I don't feel it's the right kind of dialogue to be putting in the club industry, which is meant to be a very open and inclusive environment. Um, I also feel that if someone wants to get into a club, they'll get into the club um, <laughs> with a fake ID, potentially, you know. So I just feel, yeah, very. I felt very strongly about the... The situation, um, not wanting to isolate a minority of society who, one, decided not to vaccinate for their own personal reasons. Um, and yet we are put in a situation where we have to create some kind of safe environment for everyone to gather as well. Um, so they've discussed testing as being another option, showing and providing a negative test. But we do know how inaccurate these tests are. Mm. Um, or proving that you have antibodies. And yet, with these vaccines, as we know, it doesn't stop you from getting the virus or passing it on. So there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of questions to be asked around this, um, especially when, in, in my eyes, we are still at the early stage of, of using these vaccines. And whilst they're still um, being used for experimental, whilst they're still um, <laughs> on, it, on human trials until 2023, I, f I feel very strongly about enforcing these for any type of movement, whether it be to a club or to travel. Yeah. Just for uh, anybody who might be a little bit confused here. So the COVID yeah. passport is essentially a, um, a thing on the NHS app or some of the little scan, uh, I believe was, the, was, was what they were going for to say, I have been double jabbed. To basically say, I have went and got my jab. Um, and we're not saying here that we, we're, we're against the vaccine or the, or the vaccine rollout or anything like that. I totally get where you're coming from, Z. You're essentially saying, look, number one, um, not everyone's able to get the vaccine right now. Um, there is, there's, there's certain people with maybe some kind of medical condition or people who might be allergic to whatever it, it is in them uh, that are unable to get these vaccines. Uh, so they wouldn't be able to get a passport that's them not being able to enter a club. These kind of the situations that you want to avoid. Um, despite the government open up clubs and, um, sorry, opening up the clubs and them being a thing of more normality right now, they are saying that they're gonna introduce this in September. Again, a very, very odd way of going about it. You're giving people two months of normality and then it's boom you are no longer allowed to enter this establishment um you actually got a response as well uh from thangam your the, the, your local mp and um i've actually got a thank you for sending me this as well um and she i i believe it was a little bit of a uh on the fence response um and then a little bit swayed uh, to your side and I won't read out the whole thing because um, it, it's a quite a lengthy one and uh, of course she's she's went very um, how can I put it politician on you um, and 
to summarize it, she's essentially saying that she she understands this is what the government want to do, and she she she's not she's not saying that she she she's backing it. Um, but she also understands that it's been reported that they're considering vaccinations for requirements to to other places. So it's not just clubs. Um, they say that well, she says that she's actually going to be. Um, following up on the developments in the area uh, and is going to try and fight this. Now, with all of this being said and the fact that other events went on so, let's say, peacefully, the Euros, Wimbledon, and no one bat an eyelid, how do you feel that this has literally come now from club nights opening up? It's crazy and, you know, um, it's very, very difficult subject it's when we're not recording I could uh, talk freely and passionately with with all my um, emotion attached and I'm trying really hard not to get emotional about this because you know it's, it's a very big subject um, but I think we need to focus on how this is affecting the music industry like you said um, you know what initially brought on my frustration was that we were seeing you know events things still weren't happening um, festivals weren't going ahead when the Euro was. And yet, you know, um, Wembley's still got raided by however many fans raiding their, you know, their security and how, and then loads of people mixing and ha- not testing. Um, and I just, it was a slap in the face. It was really like, hang on, because obviously this makes you so much money globally. Um, you're happy for this to go ahead. And yet our music industry, which is also a billion dollar turnover industry for, for the for the England, for the for England, sorry, I'm stumbling my words. Um, you know, it's just it again, it was a slap in the face, and it was our it was actually the nighttime's industry um who's been, you know, pushing for these testing events to happen, for example, initially, because if we didn't, if the music industry didn't push for those testing events to happen, we may not even be having these events happen now. The government wasn't forthcoming in any of those events. Um, and then once those pilot ten- events had taken place, those pilot testing events, it took them months to give us the results of those events. And we had to fight for those results to come. And once we got those results, they acknowledged that outside events um, are less likely to cause any increase or spread of the virus. So uh, finally, we've been given some kind of guidelines so that these events can now happen um, in this situation, which is nuts. But again, we're focusing on the audience. We're focusing on the audience to show their proof of vaccination status or tests or antibodies. What about everyone that works in the industry? What about everyone that's working at the bar? What about the artists? What about the promoters? You know, what about us that this is our livelihood? And if you, if this is your, um, we should all be given the right to a choice of where, whatever we do with our bodies and our health. And um, it shouldn't be, our livelihood shouldn't be on the line due to some new restrictions that are being put in place, which aren't proved or tested um, and it's really going to cause a you know a big divide and um, between between people and potentially push a lot of events underground which then aren't safe for anybody you know it, it will start seeing a lot we've been seeing loads of um, illegal raves 
tagged playgraves in the forest. You know, if people want to party and dance, they will. Um, but we want to create a safe and inclusive environment for everybody. And, you know, it's, it's a hard time to be navigating our way through all of this, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I really hope that I'm, I'm actually going to have to respond to, um, to Tang and Devonair's last email and, and maybe get some, some more detail out of her very uh, wonderful metaphors that were, was in her response. Yeah, I really appreciate you like letting us know, of course, that you did this, uh, letting us know that that she did respond. Um, where do you think we go from here then? Um, where do you think the events industry, what, what's it going to look like for the next six months? We, we've Thankfully, there is no lockdown rumours on the horizon. Festivals seem to be running um, as smoothly as possible. The, the rates of... Um, well, the, the rates of actual COVID infections have slightly risen and then gone back down again. Hospitalizations aren't as crazy as they thought it would be. Uh, and understandably, anyone listening that has been affected by COVID, um, I'm deeply sorry uh, for, for anything that you, you, you've gone through. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're not downplaying the, the pandemic whatsoever. Um, but where do you think where do you think we go from from here then if something like this does go ahead? as in the COVID passports? Where do we go from here? It's been the only way to navigate through this last few months has been taking one week at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't say I had the answer to where we go from here, but what I'm seeing now is different rules for different places and each venue, each festival is having to create their own guidelines to create what they say is some kind of safe event um, in these times. Um, where do we go from here? It's <laughs> let's just take next week. <laughs> let's yeah. just see how it goes because you know at the same time you say things are going ahead, um, but I've also had another cancellation for a festival come through today. Um, something that we thought was planned to go ahead. So we can't, you know, tell what is going to happen and what isn't because at the end of the day, it comes down to the local authorities within the local areas who now have the power to shut down a city or a venue um, should cases go up. So we've had, example, um, a stadium of 25,000 capacity putting on an event of 2,000 people who all have their own individual pod in the field but that got cancelled within 24 hours because of the local health authority and the health and safety team within the stadium didn't want it to go ahead. That was in the times when we were socially distanced and sitting at tables and couldn't dance. Um, but then again, I've, another festival in September that was due to go ahead has just pulled out. So what we're seeing is this, you know, in, um, lack of not getting insurance is this local authorities are these venues shutting down because they don't agree with the health and safety policies that are in place um, is it the lack of crew because crew and staff are dropping off and getting sick left right and center we're still getting people pinged we still have children in isolation we're still in a pandemic and I think that is the maddest thing <laughs> and it's also makes me laugh or cry and today I'm laughing about it because 
we still want these things to happen. We all need this, like the crews, the production teams, the artists and the fans. It's everybody who's involved and in go into these to make these things happen. They bring so much joy and so much love. They bring people together at a time when we've been so separate from one another. So, you know, it's about holding on to our hats right now. Because as we've seen, things can change from one week to another. We can be told that you get a double vaccine and you can fly in without quarantine. And then 24 hours later, it changes. For example, France, you know, and then you have to quarantine. If we're dealing with artists that are flying in from Europe, their, their situation could change within 24 hours and they're not able to make the gig because they have to quarantine. So how can we say what's the next step forward? I don't have the answer to that. The answer I only have now is you've got to look after your, yourself, your mental health. And, you know, if this is what you love, just keep fighting for what you love and keep working towards it. Because at the end of the day, it's creativity that help, has helped me, has helped so many people through these crazy dark times. Whether it's something that you look to for inspiration and artists or books or paintings that you look to, or if you're a creative person and you create those things yourself, but at the end of the day, the music industry is a fluid one and has been attacked in so many ways from technology advancing and changing, from, you know, having suddenly no venues to play in to reach your audience and jumping onto things like Instagram and TikTok and Zoom created in a pandemic. You know, we've had to be active to keep adapting to our environment. And that is why this is such a wonderful industry to be in. It's such a scary industry to be in. But it's definitely one that is constantly having to be on the forefront of paving the way on how these events are going to look in future, of how we're going to continue to come together, of why it's so important, you know? Mm. So... Yeah. No, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I, I want to end, end this thing on a positive um and uh, I think the the advice that you've given today in terms of you were working at a festival as a staff member production and um, being an artist uh and the, and the things that you're following up for for the the UK music industry I think you're doing a, a great job Z and uh, I wish you the, the best of luck with all of it um and we'll definitely keep keep up with everything that's happening um but my last question for you is i want to know what advice you'd give to six-year-old z who (laughs) is picking up the phones in the hotel making sure the 16 piece band get on the bus in time uh what advice would you want to give her right now about the uh the music career uh well the events career that that she's about to have communication is key (laughs) it really is it's how you express yourself, communicate yourself, um, and tying all those people together. It's about being a bridge and um, bringing the right people together to make all the good stuff happen. A massive thank you to Z, and for more interviews, AMAs, tips and tricks, and exclusive content, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Famous Co. That's at the Famous Co. My name is Zaid. Tap that subscribe or follow button and we'll see you all next time. You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.